Welcome everybody to my podcast, Big Little Small Talk. I'm Megan O'Hara-Sullivan and I love to talk, but I also love to listen. If you're new here, welcome. Thanks for joining me today. I hope you enjoy the episode. Hello listeners, you're on Big Little Small Talk. You would probably know that we've got a local government election coming up on the 16th of March and I thought I might interview a couple of candidates. I can't get through all of them. But I just wanted to introduce Ekraj Adhikari, um, who is a fellow who has run a couple of times for the local government position. Welcome, Ekraj. Thank you, Megan. Pleased to be here. Yeah, yeah Ekraj, as I said just then, you have run a couple of times. Tell me about what motivates you to want to become a councillor, a local government councillor. Uh, one time, once, I ran in 2020, and this is my second time. What motivates me think the main thing is I came here to create a better life for myself and my family and I have been through a lot and I have done so much that I want to keep doing and keep improving my life but at the same time I want to contribute back to the society in a bigger way so I can reach out to many people uh, and they can reach out to me when they need so I want to keep doing keep contributing to the society nice. and help others achieve their dreams, achieve their goals uh, as, as much as I can. Mm-hmm. Well, in, I'm going to talk about a local government a little bit later, but what I want to start out with is your heritage. Now, you are a Nepalese man. Can you tell me how you came to Australia and how long ago that was and what, what, what motivated that? Coming from Nepal, the Himalayan nation, you've been there, yeah, country where Mount Everest is and many other highest mountains. Uh, we came here, me and my wife, we came here 16 years ago in 2008. My wife came to do nursing degree here at USQ and I followed her, it's her dependent. Uh, yeah, basically we were a young family, uh, just had one little daughter whom we had to uh, live behind for a couple of months, you know, like we couldn't take her here because we were not sure what we were going to do and how we were going to do. So we thought we would come here, get everything organized, go back quickly and bring her here. But that took us nearly one and a half year. And she was only six months when we left. It's pretty, it sounds really cruel and I don't know how we did it, but we had to do that one. And that was how we started our journey here in, in Toowoomba. And choosing Toowoomba was by coincidence. It just happened. It was meant to happen. And this is the only place we lived in Australia. I have known you for a little while and I had never heard that story. I can't imagine how heartbreaking that would have been to leave your daughter behind, but knowing that it was something. And Sam, I didn't realise that you had had to go through that. So tell me a little bit more about that. Did your daughter stay with your parents? Yes, she stayed with my parents in in Kathmandu. Uh, And yes, she was well looked after. We, We were we were sure she was going to be looked after, but being parents, we obviously didn't want to do that one, and obvi- and we need to do the calculated decisions, and we thought that would be the right decision that time. We did, and I had to be strong. I had no choice because I had my wife, young mom. Uh, I don't, I don't know. I can't even imagine what she was going through that time. So there was no choice for me to, you know, like I could, I couldn't be emotional or anything because I always had to show my strong face and I had to keep going just to keep her, you know, I'd make her keep going as well. Mm, yeah. It's a beautiful story and, and 
I have been out this morning at the Hike to Heal. It's something that's run um, by the Barton family because they want to raise they want to raise awareness for suicide and mental health. And a lot of the focus out there this morning was on resilience. And for you, you've just told me a true story of resilience about putting one foot in front of the other and mm. um, doing something. It's a hard thing to do, but it's 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 for the good of your family and for the good of um, you know for your wife's career. Mm. Um, I want to talk a little bit about, and I know you can't speak for your wife, Sam, but the number of say Nepalese people and other people here who are in those roles of nursing, doing those critical roles. Can you talk to me a little bit about that and about Sam's experience? Yeah, with the, uh, I'll go to the Hike to Hill side. I've been I've been trying to connect with Hike to Hill for a long time, and we we do. Uh, I'm connected with the other group, uh, Happy Hikers, and together we were trying to do Everest hike last year as well. And that's really great cause. And um, I'm really sorry that I couldn't be there today. I was trying to be there as well, and I'm really glad that you've been there. And I knew Jeff McDonald was going to be there, and Chris Black, and these are the people I was trying to connect with as well during this campaign. With the story of my wife and the other nurses coming from Nepal, uh, many Nepalese nurses or I think many other parts of the world, the nurses coming here, some of them are in really good established position but most of them or I can say at least few of them been through same journey. Many of them had to either uh, you know, leave their young kids back home, or you know, they come by themselves, or they've been through all these struggle phases. Not just us; there were so many other people. That's the, uh, that's that's the, the resilience we we learn from very young. Myself, I was uh, ten years old when I started living on my own away from my parents and I used to see them every now and then but I used to look after myself and I used to do everything so these are kind of common stories there which now even when we look back they look scary they sound scary but that's how the life is and that's quite normal there it's it's not normal but it has been normalized and people build that resilience over the time uh, doing hard going through hardship and doing hard things in their life uh, yeah, the nurses here, they're all looking after elderly and, you know, our nursing homes are fully looked after, you know, they, they're well educated now and experienced and everything and everybody I talk to, especially if they have someone in age cares, they say, oh, you know, they always talk about the Nepalese nurses, or Indian nurses, which is fantastic, but there's a lot of story behind that going through, first thing coming here and then going through the... Um, the bachelor degree or master's degree, whatever they have to go through, and then findings of uh, and settling here in Australia, bringing their family. There's so many stories, and they like it's not just my story and unique story. There's so many people go through same journey. Same mm. sort of journey. Can you tell me some more about being ten years old and living on your own? I've never heard that before in your past either, Ekranj. That is something I can say that's not many people do. I had to do that one because I was very like this is very long story, Megan. I don't know how much time we have, but when I was ten years old, grade six, I was really uh, somehow I was really talented, Kate, extra talented, and my dad was army retired man and he wanted to do something new and he used to do he used to be a real genius entrepreneur 
he used to do everything he wanted to do everything and he it's not just him wanting to do and then achieving goals but he wanted to uh, get everyone in the community in his community whenever he launched something when there was any training opportunity or any business idea anything he used to share that to almost everyone in the village that was his passion from morning to evening and dragging people you know calling them for doing things and every sort of every sort of ideas he has he used to share with everyone and he wanted me to learn english or get good education we had high school right next door but he wanted me to go to english medium school in the city and there was uh, sort of political crisis going on in nepal at that time i started living in a boarding school which was perfect but then because of the political crisis and chaos going on there the hostel collapsed somehow the incident happened and it collapsed and uh, the social political you know the all the economic all these crises and all these situations that was kind of same for me to once i came to boarding school to go back to village again so they were not really keen for me to go back there and then do same sort of you know the government school education i don't know what happened there but it was different different scenario so they they their expectation was for me somehow manage there and i don't know how i managed but i started living on my own i never missed the school i never got into wrong habits i don't know how i survived uh, somehow where, where i built where were you living at rush that was in city called pokhra Uh, but yeah. were you yes pokhra is very beautiful by yeah, the way yeah that's right yeah but were you living in a house with a boarding family or something not at all it was like well, the rental system how it works there is like if you have a house and you got five rooms you can rent them out to five different people so you have you rent one room and then you that's your home so that's your bedroom everything you got share bathroom but even your kitchen is one corner of the room that's how it used to be and somehow it's like that is still you know there's no proper unit or flat or apartment system they were like a, we were talking about around 35 years ago yeah so, so what did you do about cooking for yourself as a 10 year old did you I, eat a lot of 2 minute noodles i uh, there was no such thing as noodles <laughs> so yeah see i still remember i don't know how i ate and what i ate but i remember going without food for a couple of days because Uh, this is funny i wanted to get sick so i would get some attention from my parents and i could go back to the village see that's that's different thing but i don't know that never happened i never got sick so i must have done something really nice <laughs> because we learned cooking from our liege right. yeah and yeah did you ever feel afraid there are several nights there i was afraid several nights and i couldn't come out and there's so many stories i can share but they were near misses as well i could have been i don't know i could have been mm. dead many times mm. but yeah there were some really uh bad experiences and i still remember that was not that i i still remember those nights and i don't think that was practical mm. that was ideal living yeah mm. yeah but i can't imagine again going back to that word resilience how much that shaped you and molded you into the person that you are who can weather any storm almost if you can live on your own as a 10-year-old boy that's right yeah no now i look at my younger daughter and she's same as is 
how old I was then, and I don't know how I did it. Mm. Yeah, and also in, in that part of the world where there's no social security or, you know, like you rely on your neighbors, you rely on your parents, you, you know, like rely on your friends, families, everyone around you. And I was in this different city on my own, yeah. Yeah. Incredible. So you, you mentioned before about your father, he was ex-military, is yeah, that right? That's right. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. do you think that your desire to get into local politics has been shaped by his sort of activism in a way and his caring for the community? Pretty much so, because he was someone, he would share everything with everyone. He wouldn't give anything for himself if he sees someone next door without it. And I think the leadership and all that, I'm not really good, you know, I'm not like politician or I don't have that kind of mindset and skill and all that experience. But somehow my dad's passion to help others and my granddad, I didn't live with him for long, but he was the leader of the community and he was well known for that one and he was mm, like a king for his villages and, and neighborhood areas. And the few conversations, very few conversations I, I had with him, uh, like, like a story or a storytelling way or something, one of them I still remember is, you don't need to be strong to be a leader. You just need to be kind. You just need to be helpful. Keep helping people and people will follow you or people will respect you. That's what I remember now and I don't want to be super smart, super strong or super, you know, rich or anything. I just want to be helpful and kind and help as many people. Whoever comes seeking help, I I don't say no. And I think that's what keeps me going as well. Mm. And that's what, yeah, that's where the happiness is. Oh, yeah, I yeah. love it. It's Thank so you. great. I always say to my children, I want them to be humble and kind, but uh, it's harder said than done sometimes in positions where you're, you're getting a lot of attention and it's hard to sort of remain grounded. I'll just remind the listeners that you're on 102.7 FM and we're in big little small talk with me, Megan O'Hara Sullivan, and we're interviewing one of the councillor candidates for the up and coming election. It's Ekraj Adhikari. Ekraj, before I leave talking about Nepal, it's such an incredible country. When I was there, when we did the Time to Base camp with Momentum Mental Health, I learnt about the Gurkhas. Now Gurkhas are the sort of fearless warriors, they say, the most fearless warriors in the in the world. And that's why Nepal has never been colonized. Is that correct? Can you tell me is that sort of fighting spirit come through in Ekraj, do you think? That's that that is uh, I think the bravery is in the blood, honestly. But uh, it's not just being brave. I think it's being Passionate as well. Uh, I don't know how they got that because they. I only uh, knew the popularity, the extent of mm, the popularity, and everything about Gorkhas after I left Nepal. We didn't know Gorkhas were, you know, how highly they were regarded everywhere. And Gorkha, as you know, you've been there. It's a small part of Nepal. That's where the unification of Nepal started a few hundred years ago, uh, and. They fought against British when they were in India, and then they were never colonized by India, even though they were right next door to, to Nepal. And that's when they started 
the Gorkha regiment, uh, British started hiring them and everything, and they they went everywhere. They fought every wars, uh, and we we used to like you know Gorkhas. We all Nepalese regard ourselves as Gorkhas, but there is a special caste or a special reason. That's where they mainly come from, and they're everywhere in Nepal now, but. Originally, they come from one particular, one specific part, which is called Gorkha. Um, and their their resilience, when I used to talk to them, they were one of the kindest people. You know, all these retired Gorkha soldiers, they go back and live in Nepal and live just exactly like other farmers, businessmen, whatever. But they, they're just normal and kind and compassionate, everything. But when we hear their stories, overseas you know like all around the world we like you know there there is kind of combination between passion kindness and bravery i think that's where we we build up resilience as well that we even we go through hardship we need to uh, fight we need to fight for existence, for survival, survival of the fittest. And the other thing about Gorkhas, not many people will see this, but they're Nepalese people and they're fighting alongside Britain. Their common mentality is they're fighting for freedom. They're fighting f not just for their country, but they're fighting for democratic forces of the world. They don't fight for the Queen or for British, but they fight for the democratic society of the world. So their contribution to the world is it's like something we need to, uh, I think we need to look from another angle other, other than just saying, oh, they're brave, you know, they fight and they're they, like really brave or they, they, don't, they have this resilience and everything. But the main motivation for them, I think, comes from the... Uh, selfless act of kindness, fighting for right thing, or fighting for justice, all these things. And if we, if, like you've been there and you, you have obviously had some interactions with the people and if you see, that's where the original Nepalese essence comes as well, helping people, saying hello to anyone walking past, or, you know, like if you get in uh, critical situation, life and danger situation, if you see someone, that person don't need to be doctor or, you know, like a strong person or anything, that person will fight for life to s save you because they know uh, someone stranger or someone new to your village or your neighborhood is your responsibility and that's the humanity that you need to respect all the time mm -hmm. so yeah i don't know if this answered the question no, no, but no, I yeah just, i just yeah. found it fascinating that i could imagine and i don't know whether it's true do you as nepalese people sort of feel that that's always at the back of your mind that you and you even have a word for you say it's the gurkha in me or you know i don't know but that, that's uh, right. uh, yeah. just i guess yeah. it sort of it's the shaping of you and your history and what you stand for and what's important That's to you. Right, yeah. So let's talk about Nepal. I'm going to go off Nepal in a minute, but eight of the ten highest peaks in, in the Nepal. world, yeah? Right, yeah, and um, the second largest gorge in the world, I read somewhere too, or the That's second right. deepest canyon. That sort of, that, that beauty or that... Um, that spirit of appreciating your environment. Do you think that's something that has shaped you as well? 
That's that's true as well because when we were growing up, m- most of the Nepalese people, except for my wife, <laughs> most of the Nepalese people they live right next door to the mountains, and they kind of like everyday thing. They look at the mountains and then they uh, they know from the mountains the uh, jungle and then rivers. Everything is created. So. Uh, the respect to the nature comes there, you know, like if we don't look after ourselves or our living, non-living things around us, then the mountain's going to melt and we will all go and disappear or we'll be in trouble. You know, somehow the, the reciprocal res, uh, respect or how do we say, there's a the cycle there that we need to respect the mountains, we need to preserve them or we need to worship them, that kind of concept in almost every Nepalese, every Nepalese, because they look at them and then they, that's where the river's coming, so they think rivers are sort of connecting uh, figures uh, with the mountains. Mm. So, you know, that kind of that kind of scenario, that, that yeah, mm. so, so... Respect for your th- environment. That's right. Yeah. And also, sometimes you, you know, like you respect each other, to respect the mountains or to res- respect the environment sort of thing as well. So everybody, and we, we always lived like that, you know, up until, uh, say, I left my village when I was 10, 11 years old, but I don't remember using chemical in our field. Everything used to be organic. But then if you need uh, milk, you milk your own cows. You know, it never feed them artificial, you know, like anything made up of messing or things like that. And you grow your own vegetable, your own fruit, your self-sustained sort of thing, and your mm-hmm. ecosystem cycle going around there. Yeah, so... So another yeah. interesting Nepal fact is that you're the only country in the world to have a non-rectangular flag. Is that right? Two <laughs> yeah, triangles. Two one, triangles, One yeah. representing the moon and one representing the... That's right, the yeah, yeah. The one, one, one representing the moon and one representing the, the sun, la sun. sun. Yeah, yeah so yeah. sun and moon in two triangles yeah, yeah that's right. thoughts on the yeti any that's thoughts right. then <laughs> just a uh, myth you think no i think it's real but i don't know if it is still there but somehow people people believe in this figure you know and many people say they witness that and even like uh, my grand i remember my granddad you know like he wouldn't just say anything for no reason he told me he saw a big figure when he went near the mountain so i don't know maybe they're there but if even if they're not there alive and if they're not present their vibe is still there we can feel that large uh, living thing somewhere in the mountain uh, and they're there i don't know how mm. if it's but yeah, it's it's a little bit like imaginary sort of figure, but still there. Like yeah, the yeah, monster. that's right. So, Ekraj, you mentioned you came out here because Sam was going to do nursing. What did you do when you got here? So when I came here, I pretty much worked to support my wife go through the uni. Obviously, uni fee is different to international students, and we had to manage that somehow. What uh, sort of work were you doing? I worked in different places. My first job was in a farm near university. I don't think that farm, I don't know if that farm is still running, but it was well established and well run farm and soon uh, we were like, you know, I was the first Nepalese there. This is coincidence. I I, be, I happened to be first Nepalese in many jobs I got, but that was the one. And then I worked at Sizzler 
for three years. I was the service attendant there and become certified trainer. That's what, like, I feel I, I yeah, I was there for quite long. Three years was long for Sizzler because every time people used to come and go there, yeah. It was a lovely environment, many people, and it was like good time for Sizzler as well before they close. Yeah, so I worked there. And I worked in Ace Cares, yeah, I worked in Respite, Senior Citizens Respite, and recent of, I long, for a long time, for nearly eight years, I worked in a men's shelter looking after homeless, homeless people, yeah, homeless community of Toowoomba, and housing hub. I worked a task as a, uh, social justice advocate, and then works worked for Queensland Health Lifeline. Yeah, travel so a bit. Mostly yeah. always in the social services sector, That's right. aren't you? Yeah. Caring for people. That's right. Yeah. I but, know a few oh. years ago, sorry to yeah. interrupt you, you sorry. were the president of the local Nepalese society. That's yeah. right. Yeah. What What was that sort of the honour of being elected to that position, and the sort of responsibilities, I guess. Yeah, Nepalese Association is, uh, Nepalese community is one of the biggest community and I think in, in Toowoomba and I think one of the fastest growing migrant communities in Toowoomba, mainly from a stu- student background, there hardly anyone from like, uh, like came through other avenues. Uh, so most of us came as a student or um, student dependents. We came here in 2008 and we were one of the first ones. Uh, before that, there were four families uh, established. Uh, we were, I think, about 20 families came together in 2008. So when we came here, we were hardly 50. By the time I become the president, there were about 1,000 to 1,500 Nepalese in 2018. But I always enjoyed being a family man, looking after my kids, and then because I didn't spend much time with my parents, so I wanted to spend as much time with my daughter. So uh, even with the community events and things like that, I could ha- I would hardly go there unless I'm invited or if somebody says you have to come, you got this role to play or something like that. But 2000 and 15 the earthquake happened in Nepal and that's when I somehow realized we need to be involved in the community we need to be part of the community active member of the community so when things like that happens we can contribute back to the community that's where the motivation came I was always passionate about communities but I was more focused on the family side I was enjoying more with the with being husband proper husband and good dad and all that sort of thing but that thing hit me a bit hard and then uh, lost one of my brother he committed suicide in 2015 so I had two sensitive or serious uh, life-changing incident happen in my life and that's when I thought no I need to involve a bit more in the community to keep engaged or connected and I become vice president that year and 2018 I was pretty much asked several times by several community members to leave the community and the it was it was a, it was really great honor to lead the community and during that time i think we were one of the most active migrant communities in Toowoomba and we were highly regarded as uh, proactive and 
active and you know really sincere communities Nepalese communities in all Australia we were like Toowoomba Nepalese community was well known in whole Australian Nepalese society so yeah and it was a really good experience to be honest and uh, I still admire and appreciate the fact few of these community members had that faith in me and they asked me again and again to lead the community and that somehow uh, helped me to find my passion and I think the rest is history and I kept going after that. Yeah, yeah the reason I sort of wanted to um, know about that I guess is as most of the listeners would know I'm not re-standing for council and part of the reason why I'm not re-standing is so that council has a turnover of people and they have a chance for new people to come in because for any organisation it's good to have renewal. Now I think too in my statement I said that we should have all ages represented but some ethnicity so it's talking I wanted to talk about diversity and what the importance of having diversity in any leadership group. What does that mean to you Ekraj? That is you know how we talk about the democracy and civilized society and when we talk about uh, democracy we need to have proper representation that's what we need you know oh, the world is changing like 2020 when we were running for council it was we there was no such thing as COVID we didn't even know it was coming but we didn't know that was going to be that big and we didn't know anything about AI back then see now this is gonna be like this is these are the biggest thing and these are the well, these are one of the massive things ever happened in human history so is the diversity so when we talk about inclusive society when we talk about being civilized we need to have that kind of representation and Toowoomba is already doing so much and we are the most welcoming cities, one of the most welcoming cities in the whole world. In Australia, we have this opportunity to lead by example. So when we talk about diversity, when we try to emphasize on diversity, we have this opportunity to glorify the work we've already been doing. So the first thing we can do is to show the world that we we can do things, we can accept changes, we, we, you know, we don't just share the hope but we all actually share the love you know like we are really generous here so it's not about giving someone opportunity it's also about giving our reason the opportunity that you know like the the outside world will when they look at us they can think and they can learn from us so having someone from ethnic background definitely will give hope to the people, will encourage, motivate people from the migrant background. You know, like when you come here, uh, you know, like back in, back, if you look into 20 years or 30 years ago, it's like when somebody is from my cultural background, when when somebody sees, they would easily imagine, oh, you're a taxi driver or you're something, you know, like. Now, if you see, people are running nursing homes they specialist at hospital. They can be professor at USQ or universities all around Australia. They can run businesses. If you see 2020, there was one Nepalese business. Now there are around 20 businesses. All these entrepreneurs coming out. And, you know, like Indian society, if you look at the African society, they're all thriving and they're all different sectors. Why can't we do something in that 
local government level we definitely need to do some changes and for that it's not just like i come from nepalese uh, nepalese my um, community background and i represent nepalese community it's not like that it's representing whole second generation or even like your parents or grandparents someone came here and went through the journey that I went through here so when I represent like when I get into the council I just don't represent one particular ethnic minority I represent those ancestors of ours who first came here and also the people who were already here and they need voice different people so it's representing and being voiced to people also representing and being voiced to Tomba Tomba reason that we are welcoming and we are uh, futuristic and forward thinking yeah we were moving forward together we're a global city well it global was last city, last, yeah. last year that we celebrated 10 years of Toowoomba being a refugee welcome zone and I think you can probably talk to this better than I can but inclusion is more than just eating a couple of spring rolls at a, a multicultural event um, once a year it's living and breathing the inclusion of having people from different cultures at a decision-making point. But Akraj, what do you see for yourself? What what do you think are the main issues or challenges that um, you might have to face if you were to be elected in the new council? See, from my experience, like uh, the way the campaign went last time and this time, I'm pretty excited, to be honest. I need to be happy that someone from someone who came 15 years ago or if if we talk about the last election someone came 12 years ago with one suitcase lots of hope but no idea of what what we're gonna do and uh, we all we wanted was maybe uh, create a beautiful future for ourselves and our kids and then we can think about running for a council or getting into the the decision making level we can even think about that, which is, which is unimaginable for many, many societies around the world. So in that aspect, it's, it's really great experience. And I think that is itself a win for me. But at the same time, there's so many other things like, you know, when uh, I look different, I speak different. And there is a common sentiment or common stigma there. I don't know like how it got there it's really deeply rooted that if you don't speak well english or if you if you have accent you sometimes consider as as if you don't know anything if i have to stand in front of 100 people here and if i have to justify over and over and over telling them no i can do this i'm capable sometimes uh, i feel i can feel like i'm wasting my time i could rather do something that people easily accept me to do you know maybe I just go and do some things that you know they're already being ha used with but then also the other side is there, there is like I look different I speak different and then my name is a little bit harder for people to get used to which is uh, understandable you know like everyone got unique names but mine is not really a familiar name and then the other thing is the amount of expertise you know like how we have 10 councillors and then one mayor we all can bring the diversity where we can all bring our own expertise and then put them together and work as a team that's where i think real power is but when 
I look different or when I'm first time I'm trying to do something different or something special what I feel Megan is and, and maybe I'm wrong in this one but what I feel is people it's not everyone but what I feel is like I need to be well educated or I need to be re looking really smart or I need to be fluent speaker or I need to know everything about housing I need to know everything about oh, how water system town planning and everything I'm there to work with the team I'm hoping to like if I get there I'm I will be work as a team and I will help everyone what they exported or what they're passionate about what I can bring and what I can offer is my expertise or my skill and my passion about the community, about the connection, about my lived experience, how I survived, how I managed to come this far and what I can share with the general public. That's where I think we are missing a little bit and I feel like I'm not getting straight through mm. to the people uh, to make them understand and I think that's why we, we missed last time as well and I hope through this we can get to more people and that is where I worry sometimes as well. I'm not going to ask you Ekraj what you hope to achieve in council because I think I know better than anyone that it's not it's not an individual thing and it is a group decision and there's a lot of um, there's a lot of people with differing opinions so in terms of um, conflict resolution in terms of how how you argue how do you resolve how do you build consensus what's your skill there in terms of um, being able to be forceful enough to stand up for what you believe in but being able to um, to hear other people's points of views like how do you argue at garage yeah. Do you argue well? Do you argue? Um... <laughs> um, like, see, I have to. When I be like, if I give you the honest answer, arguing is I'm not something. You know, I'm not great at. Like, I don't argue. But what I do is, I don't focus on the incident. I focus on the goal and the vision. My vision there is to create as harmonious and diverse council and I will focus on that one and I will win, trust me, because uh, when I become president of the Nepalese Association, uh, first thing, first in our first meeting, I told them, look, this year we are going to celebrate Flower Festival. We're going to parade there. And 70th Flower Festival was the first Nepalese, uh, that's when the Nepalese community took part and then they had parade. And we had no idea how we were going to do it, but we did that one. And also we celebrated the Nepalese culture, like Toomba Language and Cultural Festival with Nepalese theme, Nepalese cultural theme. And whole community, you won't believe this, but almost everyone, every household, uh, Nepalese household that time contributed as much as they can on that festival to celebrate that festival almost everyone from Nepalese community was present there either present there or they had something to do with that festival so bringing all that community together and also uh, most of the time when I when I don't uh, want like when I see I don't win I don't argue for long, you know, like I don't fight for that one because sometimes let, letting other people win is win, your win as well. And I've been in a situation where I was questioned for hour or two hours for something that I didn't do and I still didn't, didn't lose, you know, hope or I didn't lose my control. 
and I still walked out nice and quiet, comfortable and calm and got back to the team to the point where they all realized that was not right. So I win that way. I will win mild way. So argument, I don't do tit for tat or I don't fight. And you know, uh, Megan, you know, like even in the council, maybe not everyone in the council don't know me. It's not, I'm not just, it's just an example because you are closely uh, connect. I mean, like, you know, about maybe almost everyone and, you know, you know each other there. If somebody is going through a hard time, even in the council or in the community or anyone I know, if I realize or if I feel somebody is going through hardship, I happen to be a person, if I'm not the first, I happen to be one of the first person to reach out and say, hey, you okay? So I care. And I think being caring and kind and compassionate is the best way to be a team player. And that's how I'm going to... I like it a lot, Ekraj. It sounds great. So can you answer me this? What's your favourite quality about yourself? I think... It's a hard thing to say, I I know. know. Yeah. (laughs) Especially if if you're very modest like you are. uh, Thank you, Megan. That's a good compliment. But the best thing about myself is I can keep calm in most of the situations. That is like something I learned from my mom. Uh, I used to think that was my weakness. And my wife used to think that was my weakness as well. But now we both agree, no, that's my strength, keeping calm no matter what happens and let things settle and then deal with that one nice and easy. The other best thing about me is, um, I think this is something I can offer to anyone, is if anyone needs any help, I can't help everyone, but I know who can help. The connectivity is my passion and I'm really, I have to be proud of myself because I've been doing this for some time, practicing this for some time and I want to achieve more through this and I want to do more uh, connectivity. I, I can easily connect someone, where can they seek help or how can they be heard? That's something I think I'm proud, I, I don't know, I'm proud of that yeah, now. Yeah. yeah, well I mean a lot of the work, as you would know, as a counsellor is in the community. There's certainly the strategic um, and you're in the boardroom and you're making decisions, but probably almost two-thirds of it is being out in the community in the and working community. with people. Yeah. So I think you've got that in spades, hey? What are the three words that you would use to describe yourself, Ekraj? Passionate. Passionate? Passionate about the community. Oh, passionate, kind, futuristic. Futuristic, yeah, I like I it. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. Yeah, That's what we need. I think Fut- I, yeah, futuristic people. Yeah, because I, I like this journey of mine. I'm running for council and I don't I like, you know, they're highly qualified people and everything. But what I think is I need to do this one. So my daughters or the second generations, whoever, whoever were born to the parent, to the parents who were not Australian or the first city, first uh, generations here will feel at home mm. it's for my daughters they when they grow up they will know uh, their parents contributed as much as they can and for every other second generation third generations Australians uh, with whom are residents that they they can feel they're part of the part of the region part of the city well mm. yeah Lovely. yeah do you have a biggest regret in your life so far? Do you have any regrets? The only thing is, as I said, you know, like I was really good at in primary school, and then 
because of the situation and I can't blame on the environment all the time but the uh, the situation it was going uh, I was well established when I was 21 22 I was doing really really good uh, but then I didn't continue my study until we came here settled and almost uh, you know like created our beautiful life then only I went back and did my bachelor in social science and now doing masters and I hope to finish my um, degree soon and then I wanted to uh, some research study soon that's where I think I should have done a little bit more little bit earlier I should have been a little bit selfish but there were so many things you know my parents my uh, family my kids and everyone so I put them first and I put myself first as well I'm not just being you know like uh, not trying to be too so I'm too kind but yeah but I think I thought I had more responsibility for my parents and my uh, wife, my kids and everyone and that's why I think I, I lost about five, six years in between and I'm a little bit behind with my study but I'm I'm on track now and mm. I'm happy and so it's not it's not regret that's that happened for a reason mm. yeah Amazing, you're such a dark horse. You know, oh, you find you. out all these things in this interview that I've wow. never known about oh, you. And wow. thank you for opening up and sharing the way that you have. Okay. Um, would you call yourself a brave person, Ekaraj? I think you've probably already answered that. Yeah, bravery like Gorka, my dad, my granddad, uh, and bravery is kindness, and that way I love my mom <laughs> my mother she told me being brave is sometimes being quiet and calm so and I think I'm quiet and quite calm now calm person so I think I'm brave enough yeah mm. yeah yeah okay. but if you want to see real geniusly confident and brave person I look at my wife and if I'm if I'm losing confidence or something I think of my wife and then I think oh, no, you are your husband of one of the strongest women in the world you have to be brave so I keep going so yeah I'm brave Ekros you're saying all the right things for me I love it I <laughs> thank definitely you. love thank it you. I'll have now to go back to home as well. <laughs> my last two questions that um, I always ask people on big little small talk is and I did want to talk to you about the royal massacre in Nepal because I was fascinated by that when we got there so, but we've run out of time unfortunately who is your favorite royal Ekraj, do you follow See, the royals? It doesn't have to be a British person. I mean, like person. all over the world. Whatever See, you trust like. Trust me, who the king who was killed, who whose family was massacred, or you know, like I don't know how that happened. We ne we will never know. I think he was one of the best person in the world as a human being. I don't know how good he was as a king, as a ruler, but as a human being, he was well and truly. Uh, far ahead of many human beings, living human beings. What were the qualities that you liked in him, Ekraj? Similar sort of things, letting go, you know, like when uh, his dad was an active king, so he was a real ruler, and he'd sense the, the king Britain was the last, I mean, like not practically the last king, but the king. He, his dad, uh, established non-political or non-party you know the one party ruling system and kind of dictatorship but a bit liberal modern sort of dictatorship and he changed Nepal he started all sort of industries roads and everything because Nepal used to live in 
really ancient as till then, till 60 years back. But then this king I'm talking about who was killed, he was educated, he like Harvard, Oxford, he, you know, like he was well-educated person. He came back to the country and then was quite young, but then he easily accepted the multi-party democracy system. And, you know, there were things happening, everything was going wrong, and people were forcing him, asking him to take over, take charge, control the country, but he kept on saying, no, 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 we have to rely on the people. You can't rely on me, you need to rely on these different people, different parties, and they will learn, you know, like they will get these skills, and then the country will be better that way. So, I don't know how, how he got that, kind of mindset but he was really forward thinking yeah so I think yeah like there are so many other popular kings and you know like royals all over the world but because coming from Nepalese background I think he was the finest man mm, yeah interesting yeah, and so such yeah. a tragic story that's right and, and so that much, is um, so yeah, much conspiracy around that's right. who actually did it and, and that is the, the yeah that can be another amazingly motivating factor as well how that happened that incident happened and how Nepal changed you know, we were living in this beautiful country, nice and peaceful, everything organized and everything was managed. We were poor, but everyone was happy. One of the happiest people in the world and, you know, like most caring and kind people. All of a sudden, we saw that, you know, we saw everything demolished and dis destructed and everything come to the ground and it doesn't take long to collapse a society. Yeah. If we if we don't care each other, if we are not careful, if we are not, you know, strong enough about our ethics and principles, yeah, it's mm, wonderful. Yeah. Okay. okay. Are you a dancing man? Dancing. That's do I ask um, Do I ask your wife whether you're a dancing man? If I was to ask you what I, the song that couldn't I keep can, you off the dance floor, Ekraj. Oh, there is a song, Nepalese song there. Like when I was the community leader, uh, when I needed everyone to dance. I used to play that song and I used to go and dance, but my dance is my uh, worst nightmare. <laughs> Trust me, yeah. Because most of the Nepalese ladies, they can dance. Most of the men, if you see, they can hardly dance. There are only few of my friends, they can dance, you know, Nepalese males. I don't know why the ladies get that quality. Like my daughters, as you know, you know, they can dance, but I can't. So, yeah. And my wife, she is the one, like, if there's any party or music or anything, you don't have to ask her to dance. She's See? already on the dance floor. And part. she can get everyone on the floor. I don't know where she gets that magic, but she dances and then everyone dances. And it's it's amazing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's lovely. So you're not going to give me a specific <laughs> song, so Leroy won't be able to find one. Oh. But Ekraj, it's been such an honour to, um, to hear more about your story. I didn't no. want to ask you all those typical questions that people ask candidates because I wanted listeners to get a sense of who you are and what you stand for you. to see that those qualities might be something that they they find that they want to vote for and um, and what what sort of what the metal of you was or what the what the essence of you were and I think Ekraj, you've been very generous and um, I've really loved hearing some more about your story today and I Thank wish you, you so all the very best on the 16th of March. Thank you so much. Thank you. And whatever happens, we have to do the Everest trek again and <laughs> we'll do the talking trek. That's what I say to every, you know, like all of my friends. So, yeah. That's lovely. That. Thanks, Ekraj. Thank
That's it for this week. Thanks for joining me on Big Little Small Talk. I hope you can make the time to join me next week. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on your favourite podcast app.